Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. And welcome to your Friday edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez, the 24th of April. It's hard to believe it's been this long since we've had NHL hockey, but we're going to discuss maybe its return in this episode. And joining for this episode, as player profiles continue as well, on Tyler Pitlick, uh, joining us is Bill Meltzer. You can read him on NHL.com. You can read him on PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, Hockey Buzz, and uh, anywhere else. You can follow him on Twitter at Bill Meltzer. Bill, uh, how you making out? I'm doing doing okay in this year of April. That wasn't really convincing, Bill. <laughs> you sound like you're missing hockey as much as all of us. Certainly, certainly. Yeah. Well, let's let's start off. Here, let me just kind of, kind of give people the rundown of what we're going to go through in this episode. First, we're going to start with uh, some conversation about Linus Sandine, who uh, is reportedly going to sign an ELC with the Flyers. Then we're going to have the player profile of Tyler Pitlick, and then we're going to get into a lot of meat and potatoes and a lot of new news coming out about the NHL and its potential return in June, July, and all the ramifications, the draft, and a lot of stuff to get into. But let's first start off with uh, with, with Linus Sanding. Um, there's rumors that he's going to sign uh, an ELC with the Flyers. Chuck Fletcher's gotten three ELCs done during the pause. What can you tell uh, the people about Linus? Yeah, he's, uh, well, he's the older brother of Rasmus Sandin. They young defenseman on in Toronto. Um, Lino Sandin is a, is a big forward, um, plays the wing right-handed shot, um, big bodied guy, pretty strong in the puck, uh, had a really good year offensively in the Swedish hockey league this year for, uh, Jun Sharping. He's a, um, you know, he's a versatile guy. You, you can move him a few different spots around the lineup. Again, he put up good goals, goal scoring numbers this year. Um, I, I'm not going to compare him to Oscar Lindblom. I don't think he's going to, score the way Oscar, you know, has done in the, in the NHL, but there are some similarities there just in, in terms of their general approach to the game. Um, hardworking player, smart player, uh, maybe, maybe a little bit of, uh, he's also been compared to Michael Rafa a little bit, that, that kind that kind of a player who's versatile can, can play with a variety of different line mates. Um, he's a guy who, you know, the, there've been quite a few rumors with numerous NHL teams interested. So it, it would, it would be a nice get for the Flyers. Um, you know, you're, you're not signing a guy who's going to come in and, and make a Artemi Panarin kind of impact in your team or anything like that. But he's a he's a player who can come in, play play a good, you know, solid role, maybe a middle six guy, more maybe more third line type. But um, would be a nice signing and be be some more size on the wings. And also, you know, the Flyers are going to get into Tyler Pitlick in in a minute. Um, you know, in, in case they're unable to sign a guy like Tyler Pitlick, maybe a guy like Sandine could step in. Hey, Bill, when you look at a guy, you kind of use Oscar Lindblom. Um, when Oscar first came over, one of the things that he needed to work on to to really be successful at the NHL level, level and good on him for doing it because he really improved was his skating. As a big-bodied guy, where is Linus in regards to his skating at the NHL level? Yeah, he's a guy, I mean, he gets from point A to point B. He, he'll, you know, he's never going to be a speedster. He's not, he's not a pretty skater. Um, you know, usually when you see a guy who's never been drafted, who has this size, who put up numbers in Swedish junior hockey. Okay. Why, why wasn't he drafted? And that, that was it. His skating, his skating was pretty patchy. It's something, something he's worked on. Um, you know, again, he's never, he's never going to be a speedster, but, um, I, you know, I, I think, he, I think he can keep up with the play. The SHL is a pretty good league. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's an area he could probably still use a little further improvement on and adapting to the, uh, smaller rink surface and, and playing the game over here was also, also an adjustment for, Pretty much every player who comes over from Europe and all those things would be things that would be facing him. But that's uh, it, it's he's similar to Oscar in, in that regard where, uh, 
you know, the, the skating side of it was a, a concern as a young player. I mean, he still is a young player, but, um, you know, but I, I think I think he's started to address some of those concerns, and I, I don't think it's going to be a big obstacle for him. And he'll be 24 coming up here in a couple of weeks in mid-May. Uh, Bill, is he a guy that uh, you mentioned Michael Raffle as a, as a possible comparable, uh, a guy that you can move into the middle, you can move into the wing, and I know that he's played uh, some center, obviously, over in the Swedish League. Uh, but is he a guy that can also kill penalties? Because if, if he's a third-line, a 3C or a 4C, ideally you'd like that guy to be able to, uh, to be a good penalty killer for you as well. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put him immediately into that role. Um, He's a guy who I think could adapt to playing, you know, a variety of different situations. Again, I think I think he's a pretty smart hockey player, um, but uh, he's not a he's not a guy that I would say okay, he's going to step right in and he's going to kill penalties a minute and a half, two minutes a night. I, I think that would be a a role that might evolve for him. Okay. Well, uh, we'll see if that does come to fruition. Again, that's a lot of the chatter out there. He's going to sign an entry-level contract. Chuck Fletcher did uh, get those deals done with Tanner Lisinski, also with uh, Wade Allison and Wyatt Wiley uh, of the Everett Silver, or the Everett Silver Tips, uh, of, of ever earlier uh, this uh uh, during the pause, really kind of the week after. So if uh, he's able to get that done, that would now be four signings during the pause. He hasn't exactly sat on his hands. Uh, one of the deals that uh, Chuck Fletcher made in the offseason, Bill, um, and brought into this team was a, a very uh, uh, useful kind of player. Not a player that's going to wow you, but you're going you're gonna to love what you get every night because you know what you're going to get every night. Player profiles continue right now with Tyler Pitlick. Uh, Bill, in 63 games, 8 goals, 12 assists, 20 points. Those aren't eye-popping numbers. He's a plus 11 on the season, which is nice, uh, giving you 12 minutes and 3 seconds of ice time. But is it more for Tyler Pitlick that you know what you're getting game in and game out? Not just game in and game out, but really shift in and shift out. Oh, absolutely. You know, north-south north, north south player, one of the most tenacious guys in the forecheck you'll see you know, around the league. Uh, he, he knows his role. Uh, he plays a, a physical brand of hockey. You know, one of the team's leaguer, lead, team leaders in hits. Um, he ha- he skates short shifts. He keeps his shifts under forty seconds if if he all if at all he can. So he he brings a lot of energy. Uh, he, he's a big guy who can also skate. Those guys don't grow on trees, and he has a little bit of offensive ability as well. Um, you know, uh, he's not going to put up big numbers ever, but I mean, uh, you know, he he's the same player for the Flyers that he was in Dallas when he was healthy. My my one concern when when Tyler came in was that um, you know he had the the injury last year to his left wrist I believe it was the left wrist and it was another injury this off season to the same wrist so he missed the you know, the better part of a calendar year battling wrist injuries and I you know when he got off a little bit of a slow start this season because he missed most of camp and then you know as they got into November December he really started to hit his stride and he's been a tremendous player in the bottom six of the lineup just in terms of what he does on the forecheck. Um, you know, he, he back checks diligently too. works, uh, works very hard to create space. And again, you know, he'll make a few plays, score a few goals here and there. You need players like that, you know, in your lineup, um, very good bottom six forward. And, and he's been a really nice, quietly, but a very nice addition for the team. Um, you know, if you, if you look guys who are playing a comparable role a year ago, um, like Ryan Hartman, when he came over from, from Nashville or, or before that Jordan wheel. I mean, I, I, different kind of players to some degree, especially with wheel. But but I think for the role they brought him in for, uh, I think Pitlick has been a definite upgrade, and he's been a big plus for this team, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and yeah, I think you said it's 
so perfectly there when it's not necessarily that you consider him in comparison with those other players like Jordan Wheel and and, and guys like that, but it's the role that you needed to fill. And, and part of building a team, and really that's what Chuck Fletcher has aimed to do both last year heading into this season and his uh, signing of, of Kevin Hayes because he had that role he needed to fill. And then also with the guy like Tyler Pitlick and the trade for Matt Niskanen, they're not moves to be making moves and to put your own stamp on a team by Chuck Fletcher. They're moves for a particular reason, each of them different, but they're all for the same reason, to create a good what team, right? No, absolutely. And, um, you know, that, I mean, you can look back to last offseason, there were no, there really weren't any uh, other than maybe the Kevin Hayes, you know, addition, but even that was for a purpose to, to fill specific needs on the team. But everything was done, everything was done on a team basis to, um, you know, to get, a, to get a little more size up front, to get more two way players, to, you know, just, just instill something in, in the team that would, enable to can compete every night. And, and you mentioned uh, Pitlick's consistency. He's one of those guys who, as you said, game in and game in, game in, game out, rather shift in and shift out, you know what you're going to get from him. And, and that's, there is really something to be said for that. Coaches appreciate that because, you know, the, the guys who drive coaches crazy is, are the guys who you don't know what you're going to get on, on a given night. And, and, you know, can I put him out in the situation? What, what is he going to, what is he going to do? You know, I, I think that, particularly in the bottom six of your lineup, you want, you want some of those guys who are just going to go out and, you know, maybe not score that shift, but put the next line that comes out in a better position, have a productive shift in their own right. That's, you know, that, that's how you build the puzzle gate, you know, shift after shift, period after period. And you need guys like Pitlick who, who do a lot of the, the dirty work and don't necessarily put up the numbers for it. And they, you know, they're, they're important parts of a team. And I, I think that when, we come to this this off season, whenever that comes, there's going to be there's going to be some tough decisions because he he is an unrestricted free agent this year, and for you know cap considerations and for you know just just in terms of putting the team together, there, there's going to be a tough decision on whether he's the guy you bring back or not. If the cap were not a were not a factor, I, I don't think there'd be any question he'd be a guy that they'd like to bring back. But um, you know, it, there's um, even though you know even though guys. You, you can replace a role player here and there and, and whatever as you need to, but but by the same token, they're not they're not that plentiful that you can just plug anybody in and, and get get the same thing. So um, you know, I, I think I think that's going to be one of the more interesting decisions as we as we go through yeah. the season the next yeah. year. Yeah, I agree with you too. And he he was actually traded for uh, one of the guys you mentioned, Ryan Hartman, who the Flyers actually got in part of that Nashville deal for Wayne Simmons at the deadline a year ago. Hartman only played 19 games for the Flyers, but uh, Tyler Pitlick, I, I refer to Tyler Pitlick, guys like him that in your bottom six, you don't want them, for lack of a better term, be manic and depressive where their ceiling's really high and their floor is really low and they fluctuate in between. I want a guy that I don't need his ceiling to be as high, but I don't need his floor to be four floors down. I just need it to be one flight of stairs between his best game and his worst game. And that's that's knowing what you're going to get in night in and night out. So uh, that, that's what he's brought to the table. And, um, you know, he can fill a lot of roles for the Flyers. And, and he's actually scored some big goals, too. I remember in that Columbus game, the second one, uh, to get him within one when they were down three to one. He scores that second goal uh, on a good shot on the wing, a, a la Mark Recchi, if I recall. And uh, so he's a guy that can give you a little bit of punch in that way as well. And you need guys like that to have success in the playoffs. All right, Bill, let's get to the meat and potatoes. By the way, you're also going to get to the, the Eric Lindros news that came out today uh, from the Philadelphia Flyers about him being an ambassador. We'll get to that on the back end of all the league news that's happened. And, Bill, we got a lot of it to talk about because, um, it, you know, the NHL has really kind of been leading the way from a public standpoint here and uh, kind of making the – 
you know, what they want to do, their their intentions known. Both the commissioner, uh, Gary Bettman, Bill Daly have been outspoken over the past couple of weeks. New reporting has indicated uh, that uh, a member of the uh, uh, Matthew Caldwell's his name from the uh, Panthers, uh, his president and CEO of, of the Panthers, said that the uh, NHL wanted to reopen uh, in June and July. And further uh, confirmation has gone to that le- to that, you know, that length. And Gary Bettman's now spoken on it as well. Uh, so the league may be getting back into camp for anywhere from a 10 day to a three week uh Training camp, getting back in and finishing the regular season. Let's tackle that part first. Does it make sense uh, to have that ambition if you start in June to finish the regular season? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm still uncertain about the the regular season piece of it. Um, I, I think it's I think the plan is is more workable if you're playing up just a very limited number of, of rescheduled regular season games. Um, and I don't need you know. I'd also want to see what format that takes. You know, for example, um, if they're holding them in, and they said I think it'll be four buildings, something, you know, maybe four buildings, um, not necessarily one per division, but but that would be that'd be nice if they could do it that way, centrally located. Um, well, I mean, the team simply finish out their divisional schedules, and and those those are the games. Uh, then you know you wouldn't have necessarily the same number of games just because of because of remaining games, you know, like out of the conference, for example, the Flyers, just because of the way the schedule worked out, but, you know, when the, the pause came in, they never played Nashville this year. So they had both, they'd have both the game in Nashville and the game in Philly remaining. Um, and I believe also the Flyers would have to, they'd, ha- they'd have to go to Dallas, and I believe they would also have to have uh, St. Louis come here. I think otherwise they were finished their interconference schedule. That's off the top of my head. Um, so, you know how many how many regular season games would you reschedule? Would you just stay in division in conference? Would you try to get every team to, you know, X number of games, say seventy five games, seventy four games, however the math would work out? I don't know. Um, you know, they it also depends on when the camps would be because if you're, you know, the if just a difference of a week or two is a difference of a, a couple of days in in when you're starting camp. Just because none of these guys have been on the ice, we we talked about this in in you know, in previous podcasts where it, the, uh, the general conditioning comes back, but it's the, the hockey conditioning the hockey lungs and the hockey legs that, uh, you know, are going to, going to take some work. And if it is a 21 day camp, which, which I think it would sound about right. You know, if you're coming back and you know, if you're going to try to ramp up in June, um, just to, you know, you, you can, you can pace it in a way, maybe you can reduce some of the injuries because the, the shorter the camp is, the more I would be worried about, groin pulls and other soft tissue kind of kind of issues um so i i don't know you know we'll we'll see how that would all work out i i, I do think it, it didn't it didn't sound like gary bentman was leaning towards just random you know neutral sites I, you know like north dakota had been mentioned they, they seem to be steering away from that as gary bentman said and leaning more towards existing nhl venues picking several of them that that would be you know logistically more convenient to, to reschedule games and teams would, would play in those venues. And I believe it would be something like uh, three games a day, something like that. And, and also the facilities, uh, if I also recall, he said they'd have to have two NHL viable locker rooms available. Four, just because actually four. Yeah. Four of them, rather. I'm sorry. Yeah. Four of them because they it have to be clean and disinfected in between games and you get the other team in. So, you know, that just, uh, and also it has to be, you know, in, in areas where the, uh, the spread of the, the virus is, 
you know, relatively less than in some of the hotspot areas. So, I mean, there, there are all of these things to be figured out. It does sound like there's more optimism, and I think we can use all the optimism we can get right now. Yeah, and if they, a couple of interesting things about it. You're right. If they kind of put these teams in a centralized location by division, are they trying to just get these teams to the end of their 82 games and they'll just play against their division? Because certainly in the Flyers' case, that's very difficult when you look at the met, the strength of the Metro and then you look at the, a division like the Pacific, which is not nearly as deep and not nearly as strong. And uh, you, you know, you're going to miss out on games against teams, like you said, like Nashville, who they had twice on the schedule. Now you miss out against a team like St. Louis. You won the game there in St. Louis. But the Tuesday uh, after the pause, the first Tuesday, uh, St. Louis on, on St. Patrick's Day was supposed to be here in Philadelphia. So I don't know how they get to that number. I know that, uh, that we don't have all the logistics of this, but, um, you know, one of the things, Bill, is, you know, getting all these teams there. What if one member from one of these teams during this tests positive? Yeah, that that is one of my biggest concerns because, I mean, the protocol would be not just that player would be quarantined. Whole team, whole team goes. Whole team would be, and, and, if, and if, he, if he played any games before he was diagnosed, whoever he played against would have to be, you know, self-quarantined too. And if you're whether you're in your regular season of the playoffs, that's a that's a huge concern. I mean, that, uh, you know, do you, do you have to, you, you know, what do you do at that point? What what is the protocol on that? And uh, that that has to be determined. And it's not a you know, it's not a it's not an insignificant risk. You know, it's it's something that has to be figured out. OK, what is the procedure if somebody's tested positive and anybody potentially who's been exposed? And it's, um, you know, that to that to me, um, Jason is is one of the biggest hurdles that they face is what are, what are the procedures here and what do you do if somebody tests positive and what are the ramifications of that? And really, you know, the, they'll put their heads together and I'm very interested to hear what Gary Bedman has to say when, it, when it, the rubber hits the road and it comes time to make those decisions. Yeah. God forbid uh, they were to get all the way to a cup final and make it that far. And then all of a sudden in game one or game two, somebody tests positive, that team's got to forfeit. And that's how the cups handed out. Those are, those are considerations. The league certainly has to make uh, one of the other, cons- you know, that you just mentioned, they were considering some collegiate towns or grand forks or New Hampshire. And ultimately they needed NHL buildings to have NHL infrastructure for broadcasting and uh, those locker rooms, hotels, and all of those things. Um, some of the areas, they also have to practice facilities for these teams on their off days because they're not going to play you know three games each team's not going to play every day uh, to get this uh, regular season finished look we all understand that uh, they want to get the regular season done because they want to mitigate the damage from a financial standpoint but you got to also realize uh, the, the more games you play the more at risk uh, depending on where this pandemic is at that time uh, bill so if they were to do that and start in, in mid-july uh, take two weeks uh, roughly anywhere from 15 to 20 days to complete the regular season. And that would put the playoffs starting right around the beginning of uh, July, July 4th would be a good one for me. Um, uh, and then you run the playoffs July through August. Uh, does that push the league start time the, the next year uh, later towards November, or do they still keep it like in the first week of, uh, of October? It's, it's going to be hard to start right in October. If that's the time frame you're looking at. Um, I mean, don't forget there, there has to be a, a, a fair free agency period. Um, guys who are arbitration eligible, you know, I mean, the, you can kind of expedite some of those hearings. Um, but, you know, I, you have a, I don't know. I mean, and then you, you look at the, the, the kids you want to send back to junior hockey. If your camps start later, you know, you could have kids you just drafted that are missing already the first month of the season in, in their leagues before they 
you get them back to their teams. That's you know, it's uh, when you're looking at things from a variety of perspectives, and also, um, and you know, this would affect teams that go deeper into the playoffs more than more than teams are maybe done a little bit earlier. But um, by the end of by the end of every year, uh, there's always a list of players. Um, well, some of them can do it through physical therapy, whatever. Everybody's banged up to varying degrees, but there's usually. You know, one of the things in exit day every year is, okay, who needs surgery after the season? And whether that's in, in April, some you know, the teams that are eliminated in May or June, there's going to be a, a list of players there. And, you know, usually players will, after the season is over, they'll take a few weeks off. They'll, they'll get back into their training routine. And then with about, you know, in the final month before, before camp, they ramp up with skating. So that they're ready to hit the ice and, and, you know, go all out when, when camp starts. Um, to have such a shortened off season and, and have players ready to go for the season physically. And then by the time you're by the time you're done and you're in the playoffs next year, they've essentially played what 10 out of 12 months, 11 out of 12 months, just, um, just by the time next season will be done. That's a, it's a really, really long marathon with not a lot of in between time to me, it would be hard for those reasons to start in April. Um, you know, they, there are ways they could start a little later, end of April, beginning of November, where they're uh, eliminating the all-star break, taking away teams' bye weeks, and, and having a lot of teams playing those three and four, four and six gauntlets. Every team plays them during the season, but everybody would face a lot of them. Um, those would be ways that you could do it, complete next season rel- you know, reasonably on time, and then have a normal offseason after that. Yeah, maybe just stretch those. And I know Gary Batman has mentioned uh, have this had the end of the or the cup handed out the last week of June in in that year, uh, just to kind of slide things if need be uh, to get the full eighty two in and a full regular playoff in uh, the following year. Bill, one of the other uh, uh, kind of uh, trickle down effect of of all of this is, you know, the season being paused. A lot of players have not missed man games. Um, and one, a part of that is, you know, teams had guys on LTIR that had the playoffs started on time, um, they would not have been available. And, you know, with this big pause, now maybe some of those guys can come back, but now they're not going to be cap compliant because some of the deals they made at the deadline, uh, is the NHL going to look to, uh, g- give relief in that regards for teams in that situation? You know, uh, that, that's really an interesting question, Jason. That, that is something that has to be. Figured out, as you said, because of, of guys who are in LTIR who are, who are now healthy enough to play and healthy enough to, to come off of uh, the injured list. I mean, once you're once you're in the playoffs, the cap doesn't doesn't apply. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know they finish that regular season. Yeah, yeah. They they may they may simply just say wherever you were at cap wise, you know, we'll we'll apply for the the rest of the season just for just because of the the timing of it. I mean, we'd be. What almost in the second round of the playoffs now, right? So it's um, yeah, it uh, yeah. I, I think they'll, they'll have to make allowances for that. Um, one of the other uh, things that it was floated this week, Bill, and it didn't make a lot of sense to me. As soon as I read it, I go, "Wow, this is bizarre." Uh, but Gary Bettman and, and the league threw out the possibility, and, and Gary later called it a trial balloon uh, to consider holding the draft in June before the Stanley Cup would be handed out. Um, this would be under the assumption that the league would still pick their season back up, finish it, have the playoffs, but to be able to hold the draft before the, the Stanley cup is handout, there's a lot of variables to this one. Um, con- you know, conditions on picks and trades and all of those kind of things set aside. Like you look at the Tyler Toffoli, uh, trade, uh, that, that ended up in Vancouver. If he resigns there, then, uh, they get X pick. 
Uh, we don't know any, I can know any of that yet because we still haven't finished the season. Uh, but this seems like it got, it, it got shot down pretty quick. And I imagine that it is going to be the case. Yeah. I, I don't think that's going to be workable for all of those reasons. Um, you know, how do you, how do you wait the draft of the regular season? <laughs> is it even over now? You know, I mean, under old systems, it was strictly regular season, but now, now how far a team goes now, how far a team goes in the playoffs. Um, the, those second half of the, the draft teams, you know, your playoff finish, uh, well, in combination with your regular season finish, which you could be the, you know, you could be the, the eighth seed in your conference and then have a Cinderella run all the way to the Stanley cup and you're picking 31st. So, yeah. um, it, uh, spots change can change considerably based upon how far you go in the playoffs. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think that the teams that were lottery teams would find it fair if you, okay, well, we're just going to create a, a an equal odds lottery here. Not that that would happen, but you know, who are we going to just revert to last year's lottery? Uh, I mean, that's kind of what, that's kind of what they did after the 2004-05 lockout. That's how Sidney Crosby ended up in Pittsburgh because they, they had the best odds in the draft before that they lose the season. They had the best odds again, and lo and behold, they get the first pick. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that, um, I, I understand it in theory. You also, you know, get the draft in. You get some attention for the league at, at, at a time. You know, I mean, look, it won't. It'll never get the amount of attention the NFL draft does. But I mean, it would bring more attention than normal to the NHL draft. And I also think, too, Jason, that without without playoffs in any of the junior leagues, and you know, the uh, road to the Frozen Four being canceled, and the European leagues, and no under eighteen worlds, and also really no time for the combines either where they you, know, you get the interviews you have the physical testing and they also get a lot of medical information on players too and that's one of the most valuable things as teams are, are doing their final rankings and that's that's a piece of information that's missing in many cases you know if you do the if you do the draft sooner rather than later and maybe you can't even reschedule the combine i mean that's um that's a that's a pretty big thing when, when you've missed stretch drives and playoffs in all these leagues so i think that uh the more time to prepare for the draft would be would be better for scouting departments. I think that they're advocating for that as well. So, I, I see that I see all that happening after the playoffs. Although you know the, a June draft would be intriguing, just as as to how they would work all those things out with the order of the picks, with the conditional picks, and all the other things you were talking about. Yeah, it just doesn't seem feasible to me. They have to. They'd love to check that box and get it out of the way for what would be a very shortened off season if they were to play into September or. October or whatever it might be. Uh, Bill, another uh, bit of news that came out in regards to all this is that the salary cap is going to remain flat at 81.5. Um, and that, that may be fine if they get the rest of this regular season in that. And, you know, if they're able to get a full playoff in and not lose out on any of that revenue, that 1.2 billion that's currently uh, unaccounted for right now. Um, so if they're able to get that in, then 81.5 will be teams will be whole and maybe it can move up the year after. If not, this could have a trickle down effect is not only uh, next season with a flat cap, but a couple of years beyond that. So teams are, you know, expecting a rising cap as they headed into the deadline this year and signing players. And now all of a sudden, by no fault of their own and because of the pandemic, they're in a bit of a crunch. So the league is uh, really heavily considering the compliance, one time compliance buyout, no cap ramifications. Um to me, if you're going to do this, I'm fine with the league doing it um, because of these unique circumstances. But if they're going to do it, I think it's absolutely imperative that the league also extends their CBA. I agree. I think that I think that needs to be a piece of it as well. Um, you know, and, and it's just it's just in the best interest 
of the the league. Now, th- this is a unique situation, but there have been so many interruptions uh, in, in seasons, and, and even when there has been, you know, they, they were able to come up with the, an extension to the uh, CBA the, this time around. <clears throat> it comes down to the wire in a lot of cases, and I, I think they just need some stability and, and um, you know, a, a much longer-term thing between the, the NHL and the Players Association, and there's a lot of issues to work through between now and then. That's something I'm actually fairly optimistic. I don't think there's going to be any imminent lockouts at, at, at the end of the CBA. I think everybody realizes there's been too much hockey missed over the, the last several CBAs. Again, this, this situation being a unique one. So I'm, I'm, I'm at least optimistic that they'll eventually come together. But I agree with you that I think that that needs to be a piece of it. Get that taken care of, to me, sooner rather than later. Um, well, I mean, we'll see how it all goes down. But I, I think that would be the best situation for the game. Um, for the teams, and I, I honestly think for the players as well. I mean, to, to me, ultimately, I think you want to have stability. Yeah, and, and one of the big uh, hang-ups maybe in any negotiation there is going to be in regards to escrow. Um, but w- with a new team entering the league, not next season, but the year after in Seattle, a new TV contract up for grabs as well, uh, having that certainty of labor peace would certainly be uh, very welcomed to hockey fans who – Uh, perhaps over the last 25, 30 years, are not used to that when these situations would come up. So uh, we'll we'll see how this all plays out, Bill. Again, this is all great on paper right now, uh, pending how this pandemic kind of uh, uh, breaks down over the next couple of weeks, months, or whatever it is. Uh, We'll see. I mean, the the one thing I didn't get to in in the NHL's, and I'm reciting uh, Dave Pagnota's article on thefourthperiod.com, he said plan A was for them to have those neutral locations at NHL cities, the four satellite cities, but there's a possibility they could return to their home buildings uh, for a playoff. If, if the uh, health experts deem that okay, I can't imagine that's full uh, fan home buildings, but maybe you could at least have uh, the, the travel aspect there and you'd have to travel to another city. Uh, we'll see if that comes into, into the picture as well. Um, but we're, I think we're a long time from getting that answer as I suspect you agree. Yeah, I mean, exactly. <laughs> as uh, I mean, there are so many different trial balloons and you know uh, ideas being tossed around. I mean, it would be it would be great, even even an empty building, to get some games at the Wells Fargo Center for for the postseason. Just uh, you know, you you want to reward teams for their seasons with uh, with home ice. I mean, there, of course, there's the crowd element too. Just I don't know if circumstances are going to enable that on any kind of a any kind of a basis until next season, but that would be, you know, that would be, that'd be a nice thing rather than neutral sites. It's, uh, you know, I mean, I would personally like to see it, I, but I mean, I think the number one thing is to have hockey. Yeah, I agree. And, and Bill, would you, if that happened and there's no fans and, and you're at the home building, uh, does Bill Meltzer still sit in the press box up top or does Bill Meltzer pick out section one Oh four for himself? <laughs> <laughs> Well, if, if I didn't have to be writing during the game, I would love to sit in the stands. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Popcorn work and everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one thing before we get to, to um, the Eric Lindros news as well, um, I, I got to give a, a stick tap to the NHL. And look, I know Gary Bettman's a guy that's a punching bag, but I got to give a, a major stick tap to them because of the transparency and the amount of information flow that they have given its fan base. Um, both he and Bill Daly have been very present uh, in many different media outlets, whether that's Sportsnet in Canada, whether that was on CNN with Anderson Cooper, well, with the commissioner Gary Bettman, whether that's been on TSN or ESPN or anybody else. 
Um, they've been very transparent in what they're thinking and uh, keeping their fans up up to date on what's going on and the different possibilities. And to me, I think that's a really, really smart thing to do. I haven't seen the same level of this from the NBA, and I'm not comparing the sports, even though they you know share a season together and they're pr- probably in lockstep in how they'll return. Um, but I got to give a stick tap to, to the NHL and the way that they've handled this. I know Gary's a very smart man, and he's got every contingency covered. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I know that uh, you know there's 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 more that they've discussed than than has even gone out. But I do think that uh, you know the the frequency of the updates it's been I, I think it's been much needed and certainly very welcome. As you said, with the NBA, it's been really very quiet since since they paused their season or. You know, but it's uh, yeah. I mean, you know, where where there's a lot where there are unknown aspects, uh, they've said, hey, that this is still unknown. It's yet to be determined. And as things have been discussed, they're saying, okay, you know, these are some of the things we've talked about. These are possibilities. So it's uh, you know, I I think that it's been it's been productive, you know, dialogue wise, and it's been also it's been also been good to be you know to feel like you're relatively up to date. Okay, here here's where we are. And, you know, we're, we're going to update you again in two weeks or whatever or whatever it is and, and putting putting word out. I mean, uh, you know, as as we're getting into crunch time where decisions have to be made, at least we, we kind of know what they're looking at. Yeah. And it, and it for me, it, it gives hockey fans a sense that they're valued and, and they want to know what's going on. So, you know, they're giving them the information because they value their fandom. Um, so I think it's a really good thing. Um, Bill, one of the news uh, things that came out today, the Flyers have announced that Eric Lindros as a team ambassador, he'll be participating in the All-In Challenge, which benefits the COVID-19 relief. Um, and there's a great package that uh, people uh, can, an experience they can have with Eric Lindros. It's the ultimate Philadelphia Flyers game day experience. How about this? You get a game day skate on the Wells Fargo Center ice that includes a shot on goal lesson with Lindros. Who's the goalie, by the way? I'll sign up for that. I'll be the goalie. Uh, you, you get to watch the warm-ups from the bench, where I usually hang out as well. Uh, participate in the ceremonial puck drop with Eric Lindros at center ice of, of the game. Uh, watch the game in a catered suite with Eric Lindros, plus receive an autographed jersey and stick signed by Lindros and a post-game celebration in the suite with Lindros and surprise special guests. So, awesome thing uh, that the Flyers are doing, and, and Eric Lindros getting in on the All In Challenge. But it even goes beyond that uh, for his uh, his now ambassador role. Pretty cool stuff. Yeah, great stuff. Great on the organization. You know, good on Eric to do that, and it's all for all for a very necessary and, and you know great cause. I mean, that's it's something that uh, I think everyone everyone can get behind. It's it's one of the benefits, I guess, of of Eric having made his peace with the organization and, and them working together on something like this. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things that's, that's bigger than sports in, in general. And to have, to have a, a player with the, uh, with Eric Lindros's name recognition, a hockey hall of famer, flyers, hall of famers, numbers up in the rafters, still a very popular player among uh, a large segment of the fan base. I mean, I think it's, I think it's a great thing. Yeah, he's an iconic player. Also, uh, the new partnership also will celebrate the relationship between Lindros and the uh, Flyers uh, and its fans and bring the hockey legend back to Philadelphia for many community events, fan appearances, corporate partner engagements uh, once the NHL season uh, does resume. And uh, we're efforting to get Eric Lindros on uh, Flyers Daily as well. And just uh, just it's great news 
to hear during this time. And uh, congrats to the organization, Valerie Camillo. I know worked on this uh, along with Mike Shane and many of the others behind the scenes uh, to, to not only get this all in challenge uh, underway, which is a great thing to raise money for COVID-19 relief, but also to get Eric Lindros uh, back in the building as often as possible uh, to meet with fans and, and have a chance to, to really be a flyer day in and day out against. That's great news. Bill, great news on this podcast. Uh, we're hoping that uh, Plan A for the NHL comes to fruition, and uh, we'll have we'll Section 104 roped off for you. We'll have your popcorn ready, a nice soda, maybe a soft pretzel, and uh, we'll get your Wi-Fi working down there with a little workstation, all right? Good stuff, Jason. Appreciate it. <laughs> Uh, that's going to put a wrap on your Friday edition of Flyers Daily. Everybody, thanks for listening. Stay healthy, and we'll talk to you on Monday on the next episode of Flyers Daily. You'll take my life, but I'll take yours too. You fire musket, but I'll run you through. So when you're waiting for the next attack, you better stand. There's no turning back. The viewers serves the times begins. But on this battlefield, no one wins. The smell of earthly smoke.